preparatory to our consideration of the moral attributes of God, the question was raised, what do we know about the nature of moral character from Bible considerations? There are principles of moral character that prevail for all moral beings, for God as well as man, and angelic hosts as well. It is proper and profitable that we thoroughly comprehend these essentials, since moral action is radically different from all other action that is going on in the universe. For moral action there must, of course, be the existence of the traits of personality. Man was created in the image of God, so what is true of man in miniature must be true of the members of the Godhead in their profound greatness. To personality there must be intellectual ability or that mysterious process whereby thoughts are conceived, associated together, conclusions drawn, which are also reflected in conscience. Then there must be the capacity of evaluation, the reactive processes of happiness, of appreciation for the good, the vitality of life, true and genuine, the delicate strings of emotion which differentiates man from mechanics or instincts. Emotions are under the control of the mind and have their virtuous pleasure in the contemplation of the intellect over their existence. Then again there must be the capacity of may or may not to personality. There must be an option of activity there must be a choice between two forks of a road of activity. There must be free will, which the subject himself must exercise. He alone must turn the rudder of his ship of personal identity. These exalted qualities are the constitution of personality, equipped to launch out on the sea of time and form moral character through moral action. The Godhead in their infinite sphere, man in his limited sphere. But secondly, in addition to the constitution or equipment of personality, there must be an atmosphere of truth or moral light which is contemplated by the mind if moral action is to take place. We shall see that moral action is a conformity of moral beings to some standard of truth but apart from its perception, obligation to do anything could not exist, of course. The pathway of virtue must be clearly seen before moral beings can affirm their duty to walk therein. The idea of the truly valuable must be developed before the mind, before a moral being can approve or disapprove of his conduct. Conscience must operate upon what is seen what is affirmed to be the pathway of truth, all things considered. There must be a measuring stick, a path to be walked, a life to be lived, before a moral being can affirm his obligation thus to conduct himself and condemn himself for failure or unwillingness to comply. We can only be condemned over what we see, never over what we do not see. Thus moral light is imperative to moral action, exposure of truth to duty. 
And so we may notice that God is qualified abundantly for moral action, for we are told that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. 1 John 1, 5. The Apostle John contrasted light with darkness, and of course is discussing spiritual realities and not materialistic phenomena. Moral light is an analogy borrowed from the material world, as we have defined in Ephesians 5.13. Whatsoever doth make manifest is light. The term light is used further concerning God in the following passages. Psalm 27.1, we read these words. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In the 89th Psalm and verse 15 and several other places, we read about the light of thy countenance. The very radiance of God's being is moral light. Then again in 119th Psalm, verse 130, we are told that the words of God express his moral light. And then in 1 Timothy, chapter 6, and verse 16, we are told that God is the moral light which no man can approach unto, who only hath immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. So God's light is so radiant and so glorious that no man can approach unto it. Moses was told of the great radiance of God's personality, as recorded in the 33rd chapter of the book of Exodus and verse 20. And he said, God speaking to Moses, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. So great is the radiance of God's being. Peter, in his first epistle, chapter 2 and verse 9, characterized the knowledge of God as his marvelous light. In the first chapter of the epistle to the Hebrews, the Lord Jesus is set forth in a profound state of brightness and glory, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Then in the eighth chapter of John, in verse 12 and several other places, our blessed Lord declared, I am the light of the world. And so the Lord's radiance led to the true comprehension of the knowledge of God. In John chapter 1, we read that his life was the light of men, the true moral light of truth that shone forth from the great essence of God. In the 17th of Matthew and verse 2, we have the account of the transfiguration, and there the radiant light of the Lord Jesus Christ, as he was transfigured before them, shone forth in great splendor. Then in the second epistle of the Corinthians, we have a comment relative to the great and glorious gospel of Christ. 
in verses 4 and 6 of the fourth chapter, in whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of them that believed not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, had shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then in the book of Revelation 18.1, we read about the great future judgment on earth, which shall be lightened with his glory, we are told. And in the 22nd chapter of Revelation, and verse 5, we read about the moral light of God that shall shine forth in great splendor and make unnecessary the very presence of the sun. But we are also told that God is the essence of truth and thus is eminently qualified for moral action. God is said to be the God of truth. We have this title given him in the 32nd of Deuteronomy, verse 4, a God of truth. In Psalm 31, 5, O Lord God of truth. In Isaiah 65, 16, the God of truth. We have twice mentioned. The Holy Spirit of God is given the title of truth when he is called several times by our Lord, the Spirit of truth. In 1 John 5, 6, it is said the Spirit is truth. So God is said to be abundant and plenteous in truth, which shall always endure. The psalmist in 25.10 said, The paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. And again in 86.15 said that God was plenteous in mercy and in truth. The Lord Jesus embodied the truth of God among men. In John 1.14 we are told that he was full of grace and truth. And in 14.6 Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So the word of God is an expression of truth which must be received and rightly divided. Thy word is truth, Jesus said in John 17:17. 17, 17. And men must receive the love of the truth if they're going to be saved, as we are told several times. To worship God must be in spirit and in truth only, as our Lord Jesus Christ said. But further, that God's understanding is beyond measure. We have considered this. In the 147th Psalm, verse 5, we read that his understanding is infinite or beyond measure. In Isaiah 40 and verse 28, we read there is no searching of his understanding. Job 37:16, we are told that God is perfect in knowledge. And in 1 John 3.20, we are told that God knoweth all things. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verses 10 and 11, we're told about the Holy Spirit, but God hath revealed unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Thus we see abundantly from the Bible what we have come to believe by our natural observation that God is the embodiment of moral truth.
that no error whatsoever is incorporated in his great being, and therefore the knowledge of God is the proper pathway of conduct and is absolutely infallible and trustworthy. God does not have to experiment to find truth. He is truth personified and thereby is qualified for moral action. May we pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're grateful to Thee that we're privileged in our day to read Thy precious Word, that it has been preserved through us, through Thy faithful servants, after having been given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so as it tells us of Thy great being, and as we are lifted above all the corruptions of this earth to view something of the great radiance of thy holy personality, how we thank thee for these rays of truth which shed down upon us like the great brightness of the sun. Oh, may many expose themselves willingly and happily to thy rays of truth and forsake all sin that is thereby set forth coming to Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world by faith, to find salvation, forgiveness, full and free, restoration to thee, the great and holy God. In the Lord Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.